Well, hey guys, good evening. Ah, that little response, that's good, thank you for that. Hope you guys are doing well tonight. I'm excited tonight to start a new series called Multiply. Uh, before I do that, I want to say this about last week. Last week we had a really, really cool night together. We had seven people. If you missed last week, we had seven people who stood up before everybody and said that they were followers of Jesus and they wanted everybody to know about it. And uh, just a really encouraging time to see, like, this is why we planted this campus, you know. This is why we're doing this, is uh, we want to see people come to experience Jesus and his gospel and who he is and be changed and commit their lives to him. It, changed, it changes the trajectory of our entire lives. And so we had seven people do that last week, uh, most of whom it's a new decision for them, and uh, which is a really cool time together. So if you missed that, you can check it out. We, did, we put some stuff online on uh, our Facebook page and then also on our website as well, so I encourage you to check that out. But tonight we start a new series that I'm also very excited about called Multiply. You know, it's funny, my son is in third grade, his name's Luke, he's in third grade right now, and he's learning multiplication. And, you know, it's funny when, I was thinking about this this week, like the stuff that you remember growing up, learning in school, and the stuff that you don't remember, I apologize if you're a school teacher sitting here tonight, right? There's stuff that you remember, there's stuff that you don't remember. Like, I have absolutely no recollection of anything I learned in literature class. Like, I'm sure we read books, I don't remember any of them. I don't remember anything from organic chemistry class, right? Like, I don't remember any of that stuff. But man, I remember multiplication. Like, my, I, like my, probably my favorite thing growing up was learning my times tables. Memorizing my times tables. I was a weird kid, right? But memorizing my, like, I loved math. Math, it just always made sense to me. And like, multiplication was my favorite part of math. Did anybody else, when you were learning stuff, maybe you still do it today, like, set it to a beat in your mind, like to music. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I would do this, like, two times two is four. Two times three is six. Two times four. <laughs> no one else. I did it with spelling, too. I remember, I literally remember learning how to spell the word breakfast, and my teacher put it to music. And so still to this day, if I ever write the word breakfast, I'm like, B-R-E-A-K-F-A-S-T. VR. <laughs> no one else experienced any of that, right? Anyway, multiplication, though, was, like, so cool to me because the numbers grew so fast. So, like, up to that point in school, all I knew was addition and subtraction, right? And then multiplication is, like, this new thing, and the numbers grew so fast. So you have, like, 20 plus 20 is 40. Heh. 20 times 20 is 400. Like, yeah! 40 plus 40 is 8. I know some of you are going to be like, that's entertaining. That's like fun and exciting to you. 40 plus 40 is 80. But 40 times 40 is 1,600. Like, that's incredible, right? Like, multiplication is this fascinating concept because it takes small numbers and it turns them into big numbers very, very quickly, right? And multiplication isn't just this mathematical reality, but it's also God's reality for building the church. If you remember back in one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples, this is what he said. It's about 2,000 years ago. He has these 11 guys. There were 12. He has these 11 guys sitting in front of him. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm 
with you always. And then those 11 guys who knew Jesus, they spent tons of time with him. They started making disciples. They, they started sharing the good news of the gospel. That there's a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to live and to die for them and pay for their sins. And it's not long before those 11 have a convert, have a disciple, right? They make a disciple. And that 11 turns into 22, right? 11 times 2 is 22. And the church grows. And then it's not long before they start making more disciples. 11 times 4 is 44. 11 times 5 is 55. 11 times 6 is 66. And the church continues to grow. The number of people who made friends with God multiplies, right? It grows. But think about this. Not only those original 11 were told to make disciples. Making disciples is something that every disciple is called to do. And so those 66 very quickly turn into 132. Those 132 very quickly turn into 396. Those 396 turn into 1,200. Those 1,200 turn into 25,000. Those 25,000 turn into 200,000. In fact, one of the passages that we're going to actually look at next week in Acts chapter 2... Peter preaches a sermon, and literally in one day, through one sermon, God brings, God multiplies his church and brings 3,000 people. One sermon. And very quickly, in the first few hundred years of the church, the first few hundred years after Jesus came and lived and died, the church grew into the millions. It multiplied into the millions, even though in many places, at many times, it was dangerous and even deadly to be a follower of Jesus. So how did it happen? Like, how does that happen? Well, it was God's plan, right? It was God's plan from the very beginning. Disciples making disciples. God's plan was and God's plan is multiplication. Small numbers turning into big numbers very quickly. And as that happens, Jesus' church is unstoppable. In fact, Jesus himself said that the gates of hell will never be able to prevail against it, right? What made it happen? God and people, but mostly God, right? Changing people's hearts and using people that were committed to him, that were allowing him to lead them, that were getting their strength, their passion, their power from him. I, I wonder what it looked like. Are you ever thinking about that? Like, what would like what, what the early church look like? Well, we know what it looked like. At least parts of it. Some really cool and important parts of it. Because it's documented for us in a book called Acts. The Acts of the Apostles. And so, this is going to be our focus over the next few months. We're going to dig into this book of Acts. And we're going to see how God did amazing things. Like, absolutely amazing things. And how he used people to multiply his church and grow his church. And we're going to look and we're going to see. So, this stuff happened a long time ago, right? We're going to look and we're going to see, like, what is this look like for us today? Like, how do, we, how do we take these things that the early church did and look at our culture and look at our community and our context and say, let's apply it to us now? Because those amazing things that God did through people almost 2,000 years ago, I believe that God desires to do amazing things through us as well. Right here in our community, right here at our campus, and right here inside of our hearts. 
So that's what we're going to do. Next few months, we're going to kind of do a little bit longer series here called Multiply, looking at the book of Acts. Before I have you open your Bibles, I want to say um, a few things. I'm going to share with you three things, kind of kind of big overarching truths, meta-truths, meta-points meta that are going to carry throughout this series that I want you to be thinking about. I want you to kind of keep in the back of your mind as we progress through this. I'll try to remind you of them each week as well. The first one is this. The history of the church, of disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus, is all one big story. It's all one big story. And it's not a, it's not a made-up story, right? I mean, it's not fiction. It's a true story with incredible characters and wonderful love stories and intense action scenes and desperate heartache and deep drama and incredible climax after incredible climax. But it's one story, right? One big story written by God starting after Jesus came and did what he came to do, right? Offering us peace with God and continuing every day over these last 2,000 years. And we're part of the story, right? Like you and I are writing part of the story right here and right now. My life and your life by how we live, by how we follow Jesus, and how at times we don't follow Jesus. And one day, our stories are going to be told to others. The chapter that we're writing right now is going to be told to others. In fact, it's being told to others right now, right? The story of your life is telling a story to other people about who Jesus is and what he's done. Successes and failures, right? The impact he can have on our hearts, on our lives. So as we go throughout this series, I want you to think, so this is the first thing, as we go throughout this series, I want you to think about the story that your life is writing. Okay? When you think about the story that your life is writing. That's the first thing. Second thing, the mission to make disciples that Jesus leaves us here on is an impossible mission. It's an impossible mission. It's, it's mission impossible, right? Da, 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 da. It's mission impossible. It's mission impossible. So I'm leaving you. I'm going to head on back up to heaven. My job for you is to go change people's hearts and make some disciples of mine. Do it. Do it. All right? But, like, how do I do that? Jesus says, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. To the very end of the age, I'm going to be with you. How do we do it? Well, he's with us. We're actually going to dig into that tonight. We're going to talk a lot about that. He's with us. And he, by the way, is actually the one who's changing people's hearts. What he wants us to do is impossible if it all depended on us. And guys, sometimes we live that way, don't we? Like sometimes, if I'm honest, sometimes I live my life like it depends on me. Like how well, how well I can do. How strong I am, right? How skilled I am. We can live our lives that way. But it doesn't depend on us. And so we shouldn't think it does and we shouldn't act like it does. He makes the mission impossible possible. And so, I, so throughout this series, here's what I want you to be thinking. I want you to be asking yourself this question. How much are you depending on God and his power to change your life and to change other people's lives? And how much are you depending on you and your power and your strength, the strength of your will? Make sense? So the first one, we're all part of a big story. What kind of story is your life writing? The second one, we have an impossible mission if we think it all depends on us. The good news is it doesn't. Are we depending on the one who actually brings change, right? The third thing is this. This is a spiritual thing that's happening. 
Like all of this, when we talk about multiplication and the church growing, you and me acting like followers of Jesus and giving the good news of the gospel away to other people, helping Jesus make sense, right, to other people. It's not primarily about us looking a certain way. It's not primarily about us saying things perfectly. It's not primarily about us having an answer to every question that somebody might throw at us. It's not, you know, the the church being the church and multiplying. It's not primarily about having an incredible kids ministry down there or flawless sermons or cool lighting or having a fancy building. Thank goodness it's not about having a fancy building, right? It's not about any of those things. Actually, very little about physical things at all. What's happening is primarily spiritual in nature. See, any good salesman can manipulate sort of the, the, the human physical behavior, at least for a short time, right? But that's not what we're doing. We're not trying to manipulate people's behavior for a short time. That ain't what we're doing at all. Making disciples is fundamentally about spiritual change. As someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, God does a spiritual thing inside of them. Killing the old person... And raising to life a new person. We talked about that last week. We talked about baptism. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what baptism symbolizes, right? Like this dying. When I dunked people last week, I dunked them, right? There's like this killing of the old you. And God raises to life a new you and who you are. So throughout this series, when you think about disciple making in your life, don't just think about physical, man-made, humanistic things. The foundation of becoming a disciple of Jesus is about a change to our spirit, right? It's a spiritual change. It's a spiritual thing that ultimately only God can do. Make sense? So I want you to think about those three things. One big story. What's my, what's my life writing? What kind of story? Second thing, it's a mission impossible if we think that we're, it all depends on us. Are we depending on God? And this is fundamentally a spiritual thing that we're talking about. Not some sort of physical action manipulation or anything like that. God is doing a spiritual thing inside of our hearts. Make sense? Okay, so let's, uh, let's dig into this a little bit. So we're actually going to begin our series in Acts in the Gospel of John, okay? Which is the book right before Acts. So if you have your Bible, flip it open to the Gospel of John. John chapter 16, and we're going to end tonight in Acts chapter 1. But we're going to start in John chapter 16. So uh, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have a whole table full of them back there. We'd love for you to, I think it helps to just see it on your, in your lap in front of you or on your phone or whatever. But if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and uh, he'll help you get one back there. Um, so the Gospel of John is one of the four Gospels that tells the story of the good news. That's what the Gospel means, the good news about Jesus. And so it tells the story of Jesus' life and his miracles and his healings and his teachings and his death and his resurrection and all of that. So it's, there are four different books written shortly after all of this stuff happened by four different guys, two of whom were with Jesus throughout it all, right? Matthew and John, they were with Jesus throughout it all. Two of whom gathered the information firsthand from the people that experienced it. So in John chapter 16, John was one of the guys that was with Jesus through all of it. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples and he's telling them at this point what's coming. And he tells them that things are about to get hard. In fact, things are about to get really hard. Soon they're going to start to be rejected by people that they love, and some of them are even going to be killed. And then he tells them, 
And by the way, I'm going to be leaving you soon. Like these are Jesus' last days. These are, this is shortly before he dies on the cross. And he tells them life's going to get hard and he's going to leave them. And then he says something really peculiar to them. Something that almost certainly would have confused them. And if I'm honest, if I were there, I think it would have confused me too. So take a look at it. John chapter 16. This is what he says. So this is Jesus talking to his disciples in verse 1. He says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time, when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. So, so hold on a second. Life's going to get rough quick. Jesus, this is what you're saying? Life's going to get rough quick. We're going to get rejected by people, potentially killed by others because we're your disciples. And on top of that, you're leaving us? Is that what you're saying? And, and then you're saying that it's actually good for us that you're going away? I, I don't understand. Like, put yourself in their shoes. Like, imagine that you were there with them. Like, what would you be thinking? I, I would be shocked, right? Jesus, we've given up everything for you. You're saying things are going to get rough, and then you're going to leave us? I would be shocked. I might even feel a little bit betrayed, right? Like, I've given up everything to follow you, and now things are going to get hard, and you're going to abandon me? And, and what does it even mean that you're going back to where you came from? You ever feel a little bit betrayed by God at times in your life? I think about that. You ever feel like there's times when you have like your deepest need and you feel like Jesus is nowhere to be found? Why do we feel that way sometimes? And, and could it possibly be that there's actually something better for us than not having Jesus right there with us? imagine his disciples when they hear Jesus say this they got to be confused and they got to be feeling a little bit betrayed but then Jesus goes on look at it so he says uh, in verse 7 but truly I tell you it's for your own good that I'm going away he says unless I go away the advocate will not come to you but if I go I'll send him to you and when he comes I'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the father where you can no longer where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned I have much to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he'll speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Whew. So there's a lot there, right? But Jesus says that it's for our own good, for their own good and our own good, that he's going away. Because unless he goes away, the advocate will not come. In your Bibles where it says advocate, is it a capital A in there? It is in mine. Why do you think it's capitalized? Like, 
Who is the advocate? That word advocate, it it literally means parakletos or paraclete. Sometimes you may have heard of that. It means the helper. It means the counselor. Who is the advocate? Well, the advocate is the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls him the spirit of truth in verse 13. So what's Jesus saying? Well, after Jesus leaves and goes back to him who sent him, the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to guide them and us into truth. And then Jesus is going to communicate to them and us through that Holy Spirit. And somehow, in some way, that's actually going to be better for them than if Jesus was physically present with them at the moment. That is confusing to me. Jesus, how could that, how could anything possibly be better than having you here with me? If I was in their shoes, I wouldn't understand. Well, fast forward a couple decades in the Bible, and you have a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. And at this point, he's writing to some different churches, uh, many of whom he planted himself. And he says something to the Christians in an important city back then called Ephesus, talking about this Holy Spirit, this gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, And you also were included in Christ. So he's talking to the Christians in Ephesus. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Well, what does that mean? Well, when we believed, when we believe, we're marked with him with a seal, right, of God's ownership, where it's like we're stamped property of Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like branding, you know, you brand cattle, right? It's like we're branded property of Jesus Christ that shows that we're God's possession, we're his. And it shows us, it demonstrates to us, it guarantees for us that we're going to have an inheritance one day. Think about that. Like, isn't that an awesome thought? Doesn't that make you, you are You are branded His. You are sealed His forever. Doesn't that make you feel safe? that, That makes me feel very safe and very secure. But what does it mean to be marked with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be branded with the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul actually brings a little bit more clarity to this than a letter that he wrote to another group of Christians in another city back then called Corinth. So he wrote a few letters to them. We have two of them in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, this is what he says, talking about the same subject, this Holy Spirit, this mark, right? He says, Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, And put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Did you catch that? He says some familiar things here, right? He says a seal, you know, it's a seal on us, it's a deposit, there's a guarantee. But do you see how he says this happens? God puts his spirit in our hearts. Guys, think about that. That is absolutely incredible. The Spirit of God in our hearts. You know the Spirit that Paul's talking about here? Connect this back with John 16 where we started tonight. This Spirit is the advocate, right? It's the paraclete. It's the helper. It's the counselor. It's the Spirit of truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Now think back to what Jesus said said to his disciples back in John chapter 16. He said, it would be better for them to go, for Jesus to go away and send his Holy Spirit to be with them and to communicate to them 
them everything that Jesus wanted them to know. But Jesus, how could it possibly be better? How could anything possibly be better than having you physically present next to me? Well, now instead of the fullness of God next to you, physically present in Jesus, now the fullness of God will be in you, will be in your hearts spiritually in the person of the Holy Spirit. Ah, I get it. Now I understand. I want you to take a second. I want you to write this down because I want you to think about this this week. Ready? I hadn't thought of this before this week. The Holy Spirit is like Jesus multiplied in us. Think about that. Chew on that for a second. The Holy Spirit is kind of like Jesus multiplied in us. Think about that. What an incredible thought. This is the foundation, by the way, of God's plan of multiplication. I like, I have a, a friend, Michael, who helps me think through some sermon ideas, and we we're talking about this, actually writing about this, and I, I love how he said it. I'm going to throw it up on the screen. This is a, a direct quote from him. This is what he said. He says, the Holy Spirit is essentially Jesus multiplied. The concept that having millions of flawed, spirit-infused mortal beings distributed worldwide is a better master plan than having one finitely physical, immortal Jesus camped out on earth for centuries. I love that. Like this is God's master plan for his church. This is the foundation of the multiplication that God has set in place. Jesus said it would be better for us. And at first you think about it and you think, how could there possibly be anything better, Jesus, than having you here with us? Man, it's better to have the very Spirit of God living inside of us, right? Anywhere we go, He's with us. Anyone we talk to, He's with us. Any, any situation that we find ourselves in, He's with us. Now I see. I have your Holy Spirit working in my life, working through my weakness, right? And we got lots of them, don't we? Showing Himself in our inconsistencies, displaying His power, Power through us, through broken, imperfect people like us. That is incredible. Now, now, think back to where we started tonight. We said God's plan from the very beginning is multiplication, disciples making disciples. And Jesus' mission for us, which kind of sounds like an impossible mission at first, it's not so impossible now. Remember what he said? The authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. It makes sense now. He's with us. Jesus is with us through the very Spirit of God that He is speaking to us through. The Spirit speaks to us what He hears from Jesus. Multiply. Make disciples. I'm with you. Not physically any longer, but in an even more intimate way. I am with you, living inside of your heart the whole, through the Holy Spirit. Like that, that, are you guys following me? This is, that is an amazing thought. This is a really important foundation for us to lay as we dig into the book of Acts. God first, he calls us to multiply. We'll see it as these weeks go on. The church multiplied in incredible ways. But he first multiplies himself deep within our lives. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus, the Bible is very clear on this, everyone who is a follower of Jesus has the very spirit of God living inside of them. 
The Holy Spirit is like Jesus multiplied in us, making the impossible mission possible. That's the foundation. So that leads us to the book of Acts. So now, 30 minutes into it, we're going to get into the book of Acts. We're not going to get very far, okay? But if you have your Bibles open, if you're in the Gospel of John, flip one book to the right to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to end tonight. So the guy who writes the book of Acts is a guy named Luke. Luke is the same guy who writes the Gospel of Luke. And so this is kind of the second book. This is kind of the second volume of Luke's writing, okay? Same guy who wrote the Gospels. And this is what he says. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, very beginning. So he says, in my former book, Theophilus, Theophilus, by the way, we don't know who he is. Theophilus could be some guy, some Gentile, or it could be kind of just a general name. Theophilus means lover of God, so it could be kind of a general name for the church, for all of us. So he says, in my former book, which is the Gospel of Luke, he says, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they hadn't experienced the Holy Spirit yet. They hadn't been baptized. They hadn't been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. We talked about the conversation that Jesus had with them in John chapter 16. He said it's coming. They hadn't experienced it yet. Verse 6. And they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, I, I love that. I kind of wonder what he He says, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Wow. Like there, there's a lot here again, right? But what I want to focus us on for the rest of our time, what I want to focus us on is verse 8 there because it's a powerful verse. It's a very similar verse to the one at the very end of Matthew, the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. It's a similar verse. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Do you, do you know what the significance of Jerusalem, why he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, you know what he means there? It's, it's kind of like concentric circles. So they were in Jerusalem. That's, the, that's like the city that they were in, right? Judea is the broader area around Jerusalem. Samaria is kind of a little broader than that. It's actually a little bit more north of that. And then the ends of the earth, right? So what's he saying? Basically he's saying, anywhere you go on this earth, with everyone that you meet, you are to be my witnesses, testifying about me to everyone. Anywhere you go, and everywhere you go, with anyone you meet, 
and everyone you meet. The gospel is for everyone, right? And then he says that we're to be his witnesses. What do witnesses do? Well, a witness testifies to the truth that they've experienced, right? I mean, that's, that's what a witness does. You call a witness who's experienced something, and they testify truthfully to what they've experienced. We're Jesus' witnesses, testifying to the truth of the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, so that you and I could have peace with God and have every one of our sins washed away. We testify to others. We witness to others that this is available to all of us. We've experienced it ourselves, but it's available to everyone else who wants it as well. And then, guys, think about this. Because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we have power. Some of you need to hear that tonight. Some of us feel like powerless, like the world is going on around me. I have no control. I I feel completely powerless. Listen, you have the very Spirit of God living inside of you. Like, think about the power that comes with that. This is the very presence of God Almighty living in our hearts. I'm on his team, right? He loves me. He's with me. Think about the power that you have at your disposal. The power to stand firm no matter what situation that you're in. The power to bring healing. The power to bring peace to people. Jesus talks about, we have the keys to the kingdom of God. Like you and I, which is the gospel. We have the gospel to unlock the keys, to, uh, to unlock the kingdom of God, the gates to the kingdom, to anybody that we want. Think about the power that comes with that. The power to sacrifice for others and yet always have our needs cared for by our heavenly father. The power to love even those that might be against us, right? Because because of his power, no enemy can stand against us. No evil can stand against us. No power can defeat us. And no one can separate us. No evil can separate us from the love of God. Think about the power that you and I have. And in addition to all of that, because of that power from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we can have the power and the ability to be multiplied in others. This is, I'd love for you to write this down too. I'd love for you to chew on this a little bit this week. Because the Holy Spirit is multiplied in us, we have power to be multiplied in others. Guys, that's so, that's so huge. You're not alone. God calls us to go out and be his witnesses. God calls us to multiply, right? To make disciples, which is an impossible mission if we think we can do it on our own. But he first starts out multiplying himself, multiplying Jesus in our hearts so that then you and I can go out and help people understand the good news of Jesus, to help Jesus make sense to anyone who's got a question about it. In broken, frail, imperfect bodies, in imperfect ways, right? but by the power of the Spirit living inside of us. By His power working in us, we get a chance to live as His witnesses as He makes disciples, as He multiplies the church. Guys, God's plan to bring people to know Him and follow Him and love Him, to love Jesus, from the very beginning, it was multiplication. That's His plan. Disciples making disciples. First, Jesus is like Jesus multiplied in us through the Holy Spirit. He lays the foundation there, right? And then He calls us to multiply, to help other people come to know Jesus. It's available to everybody if they want it.
and we're part of this story, right? This one big story that's being written. And we're waiting until one day when our story is done and it will be told to other people. And this story is a complicated story. One day, the story's going to end. Jesus is going to come back, right? But we're writing our chapter right now. And this story has had incredible high moments throughout the history, right? Throughout the last 2,000 years. The characters, some characters in the story have had incredible faith and stepped out in amazing ways and taken amazing risks and seen God show up and do absolutely amazing things. Other characters in this story have not depended on God. And they've fallen short. And they've hurt people. And they've given Jesus a bad name. My question to you is, what story are you writing? Actually, I have a few questions for you before we go. And we're done. What story is your life writing? Like right now. Think about it. Like the things that you do, the priorities that you have, the things that you're not doing, the ways that you interact with people, the ways that you keep to yourself, the things that we share, the things that we don't share. Like what kind of story is your life writing? People are watching. People are taking in our story, right? My second question is, have you experienced the gospel in your life? What, what kind of story is your life writing? Have you experienced the gospel? We talked about this a lot in the last series, the Get It series. Have you, have you got it in your own life? Does Jesus make sense to you what he came and did? Right? Is the gospel taking root in your life? Third thing, are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing him to lead your life and take you where he wants you to go? God has, has plans for everybody in here. The Bible says he's got good works prepared in advance for each of us to do. Like, Are you allowing the Spirit control and power in your life? He doesn't force his way into anything. I wish he did sometimes. But he only takes as much control as we willingly give him. Are you living under the power of the Holy Spirit, going where God wants you to go, doing what God wants you to do? My last question, are you being multiplied? Like, do you have somebody or people in your life that you love and that you care about that are apart from God that Jesus is confusing to them or Jesus is not, they don't even, they don't even know their need? Are you, are you looking to be multiplied in them? Are you praying for them? Are you lifting them up to our God and asking for Him to change their hearts? This is the challenge of the book of Acts. This is what we're going to be challenging each other to over these next few months as we dig into this. God has given us a very clear mission to multiply, to be His witnesses, and to make disciples. The good news is we don't have to do any of it alone. He's inside of us. And we have each other as well.